This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for June 26th. And as we start our Old Testament reading today, we need to remember where we are in the story of of Israel, the northern kingdom, in order to understand the bloody mess that we're in. So last time that uh, we were reading together, we had Jehu, who is son of Jehoshaphat, being anointed by one of the prophets as the next king of Israel to replace King Joram, who is the son of King Ahab. If you remember, Ahab and Jezebel were really despicable um, king and queen uh, who led people into idolatry and never turned back, never turned back to the Lord. Um, The Lord has been merciful already in our study of the kings to even terrible, terrible kings that have turned back to him and and, uh, repented, Um, but they never did. And that's an important context as we start our reading today. So beginning in 2 Kings uh, chapter 9, verse 14. So Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat and grandson of Nimshi, formed a conspiracy against King Joram. Now Joram had been with the army at Ramoth-Gilead, defending Israel against the forces of King Hazael of Aram. But Joram had been wounded in the fighting and had returned to Jezreel to recover from his wounds. So Jehu told the men with him, Since you want me to be king, don't let anyone escape to Jezreel to report what we have done. Then Jehu got into a chariot and rode to Jezreel to find King Joram, who was lying there wounded. King Ahaziah of Judah was there too, for he had gone to visit him. The watchman on the tower of Jezreel saw Jehu and his company approaching. So he shouted to Joram, I see a company of troops coming. Send out a rider to find out if they are coming in peace, King Joram shouted back. So a rider went out to meet Jehu and said, The king wants to know whether you are coming in peace. Jehu replied, What do you know about peace? Get behind me. The watchman called out to the king, The rider has met them, but he is not returning. So the king sent out a second rider. He rode up to them and demanded, The king wants to know whether you come in peace. Again, Jehu answered, What do you know about peace? Get behind me. The watchman exclaimed, The rider has met them, but he isn't returning either. It must be Jehu, son of Nimshi, for he is driving so recklessly. Quick, get my chariot ready, King Joram commanded. Then King Joram of Israel and King Ahaziah of Judah rode out in their chariots to meet Jehu. They met him at the field that belonged to Naboth of Jezreel. Remember, Naboth was the one that Ahab had killed uh, because he wanted his gardens. King Joram demanded, Do you come in peace, Jehu? Jehu replied, How can there be peace as long as the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel are all around us? Then King Joram reined the chariot horses around and fled, shouting to King Ahaziah, Treason, Ahaziah! Then Jehu drew his bow and shot Joram between the shoulders. The arrow pierced his heart and he sank down dead in his chariot. Jehu said to Bidkar, his officer, throw him into the field of Naboth of Jezreel. 
Do you remember when you and I were riding along behind his father, Ahab? The Lord pronounced this message against him. I solemnly swear that I will repay him here on Naboth's property, says the Lord, for the murder of Naboth and his sons that I saw yesterday. So throw him out on Naboth's field, just as the Lord said. When King Ahaziah of Judah saw what was happening, he fled along the road to Beth Hagen. Jehu rode after him, shouting, Shoot him too! So they shot Ahaziah in his chariot at the ascent of Gur, near Ibleam. He was able to go as far as Megiddo, but he died there. His officials took him by chariot to Jerusalem, where they buried him with his ancestors in the city of David. Ahaziah's reign over Judah had begun in the 11th year of King Joram's reign in Israel. When Jezebel, the queen mother, heard that Jehu had come to Jezreel, she painted her eyelids and fixed her hair and sat at a window. When Jehu entered the gate of the palace, she shouted at him, Have you come in peace, you murderer? You are just like Zimri, who murdered his master. Jehu looked up and saw her at the window and shouted, Who is on my side? And two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Throw her down, Jehu called. So they threw her out of the window, and some of her blood splattered against the wall and on the horses. And Jehu trampled her body under his horse's hooves. Then Jehu went into the palace and drank and ate. Afterward, he said, Someone go and bury this cursed woman, for she is the daughter of a king. But when they went out to bury her, they found only her skull, her feet, and her hands. When they returned and told Jehu, he stated, This fulfills the message from the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Elijah from Tishbe. At the plot of land in Jezreel, dogs will eat Jezebel's flesh. Her body will be scattered like dung on the field of Jezreel, so that no one will be able to recognize her. Chapter 10. Now Ahab had 70 sons living in the city of Samaria. So Jehu wrote a letter and sent copies to Samaria to the officials of the city, to the leaders of the people, and to the guardians of Ahab's sons. The letters said, The king's sons are with you, and you have at your disposal chariots, horses, a fortified city, and weapons. As soon as you receive this letter, Select the best qualified of King Ahab's sons to be your king and prepare to fight for Ahab's dynasty. But they were paralyzed with fear and said, two kings couldn't stand against this man. What can we do? So the palace and city administrators, together with the other leaders and guardians of the king's sons, sent this message to Jehu. We are your servants and we'll, tell, we'll do anything you tell us. We will not make anyone king. Do whatever you think is best. Jehu responded with a second letter, If you are on my side and are going to obey me, bring the heads of the king's sons to me at Jezreel at about this time tomorrow. Now the 70 sons of the king were being cared for by the leaders of Samaria, where they had been raised since childhood. When the letter arrived, the leaders of 70 of the king's sons. They placed their heads in baskets and presented them to Jehu at Jezreel. A messenger went to Jehu and said, they have brought the heads of the king's sons. So Jehu ordered, pile them in two heaps at the entrance of the city gate, and I leave them there until morning. In the morning, he went out and spoke to the crowd that had gathered around them. You aren't to blame, he told them. I am the one who conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? You can be sure that the message of the Lord that was spoken concerning Ahab's family will not fail. The Lord declared through his servant Elijah that this would happen. 
Jehu killed all of Ahab's relatives living in Jezreel and all his important officials, personal friends, and priests. So Ahab was left without a single survivor. Then Jehu set out for Samaria. On the way, while he was at Bethekad of the shepherds, he met some of the relatives of King Ahaziah of Judah. Who are you? He asked them. And they replied, We are relatives of King Ahaziah. We are going to visit the sons of King Ahab and the queen mother. Take them alive, Jehu shouted to his men. And they captured all 42 of them and killed them at the well of beth Eked. None of them escaped. When Jehu left there, he met Jehonadab, of son of Rechab, who was coming to meet him. After they had greeted each other, Jehu said to him, Are you as loyal to me as I am to you? Yes, I am, Jehonadab replied. If you are, Jehu said, then give me your hand. So Jehonadab put out his hand, and Jehu helped him into the chariot. Then Jehu said, Now come with me and see how devoted I am to the Lord. So Jehonadab rode along with him. When Jehab, uh, sorry, when Jehu arrived, he killed everyone who was left there from Ahab's family, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Then Jehu called a meeting of all the people of the city and said to them, Ahab hardly worshipped Baal at all compared to the way I will worship him. Summon all the prophets and worshippers of Baal and call together all of his priests. See to it that every one of them comes, for I am going to offer a great sacrifice to Baal. Any of Baal's worshippers who fail to come will be put to death. But Jehu's plan was actually to destroy all the worshippers of Baal. Then Jehu ordered, prepare a solemn assembly to worship Baal. So they did. He sent messengers throughout all Israel, summoning those who worshipped Baal. They all came and filled the temple of Baal from one end to the other. And Jehu instructed the keeper of the wardrobe, be sure that every worshipper of Baal wears one of these robes. So robes were given to them. Then Jehu went into the temple of Baal with Jehonadab, son of Rechab. Jehu said to the worshipers of Baal, make sure that only those who worship Baal are here. Don't let anyone in who worships the Lord. So they went inside the temple to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now, Jehu had surrounded the building with 80 of his men and had warned them, if you let anyone escape, you will pay for it with your own life. As soon as Jehu had finished sacrificing the burnt offering, he commanded his guards and officers, go in and kill all of them. Don't let a single one escape. So they killed them all with their swords and the guards and officers dragged their bodies outside. Then Jehu's men went into the fortress of the temple of Baal. They dragged out the sacred pillar used in the worship of Baal and destroyed it. They broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and wrecked the temple of Baal converting it into a public toilet. That is what it is used for to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed every trace of Baal worship from Israel. He did not, however, destroy the gold calves at Bethel and Dan, the great sin that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. Nonetheless, the Lord said to Jehu, you have done well in following my instructions to destroy the family of Ahab. Because of this, I will cause your descendants to be kings of Israel down to the fourth generation. But Jehu did not obey the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all of his heart. He refused to turn from the sins of idolatry that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. 
Turning to Acts chapter 17 today, we're following Paul and Silas's missionary journey. Now Paul and Silas traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went there to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he interpreted the scriptures to the people. He was explaining and proving the prophecies about the sufferings of the Messiah and his rising from the dead. He said, this, is, this Jesus I am telling you about is the Messiah. Some who listened were persuaded and became converts, including a large number of godly Greek men and also many important women of the city. And we realize that Paul is uniquely skilled to do this because he was really a Jewish scholar, uh, trained under the best Jewish teachers. So he uniquely was able to interpret the scriptures of the coming of the Messiah in a way that they would understand. And God uses him in this capacity. But the Jewish leaders were jealous. So they gathered some worthless fellows from the streets to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so that they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have turned the rest of the world upside down and now they are here disturbing our city, they shouted. And Jason has led the, let them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar for they profess allegiance to another king, Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city officials, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. But the officials released Jason and the other believers after they had posted bail. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the synagogue, and the people at Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to check up on Paul and Silas to see if they were really teaching the truth. I love that verse. That's just what we should be doing every day. As a result, many Jews believed and did as did some of the prominent Greek women and many men. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul to the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with a message for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join them. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to debate with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, this babbler has picked up some strange ideas. Others said he's pushing some foreign religion. Then they took him to the council of philosophers. Come and tell us more about this new religion, they said. You are saying some rather startling things and we wanna know what it's all about. It should be explained that the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious, for as I was walking along, I saw your many altars, and one of them had on it this inscription, to an unknown God. You have been worshiping him without knowing who he is, and now I wish to tell you about him. 
He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need there is. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand which should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose in all of this was that the nations should seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As one of your own poets says, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's former ignorance about these things, but now he commands everyone everywhere to turn away from idols and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak of the resurrection of a person who had been dead, some laughed, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others. Psalm 144. Bless the Lord who is my rock. He gives me strength for war and skill at battle. He is my loving ally and my fortress, my tower of safety, my deliverer. He stands before me as a shield, and I take refuge in him. He subdues the nations under me. O Lord, what are mere mortals that you should notice us, humans that you should care for us? For we are like a breath of air. Our days are like a passing shadow. Bend down the heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they billow smoke. Release your lightning bolts and scatter your enemies. Release your arrows and confuse them. Reach down from heaven and rescue me. Deliver me from deep waters, from the power of my enemies. Their mouths are full of lies. They swear to tell the truth, but they lie. I will sing a new song to you, O God. I will sing your praises with a ten-stringed harp. For you grant victory to kings. You are the one who rescued your servant David. Save me from the fatal sword. Rescue me from the power of my enemies. Their mouths are full of lies. They swear to tell the truth, but they lie. May our sons flourish in their youth like well-nurtured plants. May our daughters be like graceful pillars carved to beautify a palace. May our farms be filled with crops of every kind. May the flocks in our fields multiply by the thousands, even tens of thousands and may our oxen be loaded down with produce. May there be no breached walls, no forced exile, no cries of distress in our squares. Yes, happy are those who have it like this. Happy indeed are those whose God is the Lord. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28. My clock. A truly wise person uses few words, 
a person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought to be wise when they keep silent. When they keep their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. And to end today, I wanted to share with you a passage um, from Galatians. And we are in chapter 5, verse 20, starting verse 25. And this is from the message. And I just love the way it puts this. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better or another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saying your critical comments to yourself, saving them to yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Each of you must take a responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. We all have that opportunity today, and I hope and pray that you will take it. Have a beautiful day. Love you all.